Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Last night's massive storm left a substantial amount of property damage in its wake this morning. With lines down all over town, we advise caution if you must leave your home. Today's forecast calls for sunshine, but it now appears an unexpected front of mist is coming in from the north. But I'm sure that'll blow over in no time. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, C.M. Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. What's up, constant readers? And today we are back with another Patreon selection by Jared Hazelwood. We are covering The Mist through Chapter 6, if you are following along, and if not, major spoilers ahead. And Josh is leading our discussion. So hyped to finally be covering The Mist. This is a story that when we started the podcast, it was on my short list of things I wanted to do. Yes. But we've all read it, correct? Oh, yeah. 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 Where does this book hold up for you guys in in memory of from last time you read it? Like a pretty high place. As good as I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember having any strong opinion one way or the other about this. Interesting. And I kind of, so far, I'm holding to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now I'm, now I'm even more excited to see if your opinion changes from the conversation. This has just been one of my favorites, so I'm really happy to have an excuse to reread it. It's got a cool, like, sci-fi edge to it that I think is why I like it so much. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's also, because it's a novella, it's, it's streamlined, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like, the once it picks up pace, it just goes. So, let's jump into... The Drayton family, because we get to spend chapter one, the coming, uh, the coming storm, meeting the family, which will they will all be our main protagonists, right? The whole thing, right? Yeah. Oh, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we meet David, Steph, and Billy, who are standing out back in their house that's on a lake, and they are watching just a a fog roll in. Nothing, nothing major, right? Well, the fog is not. Oh well, yeah, in. the fog doesn't come right away. We're watching but a storm, yeah, yes, roll in <laughs> from the north, and the the brutal. They talk about the brutal heat and this breaking storm, and he knows it's going to be a massively terrible one. There's so much foreshadowing in the first couple pages of this book with the storm and certain things that he comments on about his son and his wife that initially could just be chalked up to this guy's a little dramatic but okay maybe he's just (laughs) at that age and he has a kid where he's reflecting on how like short and fragile life is which obviously (laughs) isn't the case but this storm description of what ultimately happens the whole time I was reading it more so than when I read it the first time because I hadn't had this experience I couldn't help but remember the land hurricane that Mm. we all experienced yes and was that 2020 it happened a few times right (laughs) Well, no, no, just the, the ones. The, the Dereco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just the ones. No, we had we've had like two of them in the well, past the, like that, five years. The right? one that destroyed our lives for a week sure. because <laughs> everybody lost power. The tree in front of our house broke. I literally watched it fall down. So as all of this was happening, I was like, yes, this is a terrifying, upsetting, scary experience. <laughs> yeah, he 
talks about the way big destructive weather comes in. He, he says it moves with this slow power where mm-hmm. you you can just feel it coming on. It's it really sets up this case of like this sense of dread. Yes, and and I love how it plays off what you just said, like that natural feeling we all have. We and animals respond even before we necessarily see or hear anything. It's like a, a chain, you know, the barometric pressure, I'm sure. But you have all of these physical sensations that don't that are not so overt that you realize what they are. And it seems kind of mystical. And I love it. I, I have to admit that I am in a very real way terrified of most natural disasters. Really? Yeah. Um, my entire life, tornadoes. Uh, I think I've made, probably had more nightmares about tornadoes than anything else in my life. I have the most upsetting and wickedly awesome tornado nightmares. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, it's, it's weird. I'm fascinated by it, though. I have like this weird relationship. Oh. Where I'm like, oh, I could watch tornado shit all day. And get no, not me. <laughs> no, it, it, and living in the Midwest, it's yes. the right. fucking worst. Mm-hmm. But no, I I hear sirens, and I'm like, I need to be in a basement right now. It's a very real fear of mine. I think this is our first DPR How's the Weather small talk. <laughs> <laughs> For a Midwest podcast, it's, it's surprising we haven't gotten there sooner. There's one moment that I felt I could relate to. I don't know if you guys feel the same, but it's when they're inside and the storm is picking up. It's before they've gone down into the basement and he sees Steph and Billy standing in front of this picture window they have. And he has this image of the glass blowing in and tearing them to shreds. I 100% have had that reaction when I see people. <laughs> yes, I I have that in unreasonable circumstances anyway, just because mm. I think the anxious brain does that to <laughs> you. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, he, he frames it as this like, this very dad feeling <laughs> that you wouldn't understand this if you're a father. I'm like, you don't have anxiety, do you, Stephen King? Anytime you guys don't answer right away, you're dead. Yeah, (laughs) just assume that makes sense. I mean, we're it's not all the time because I mean, like I have talked about many a times. Like I'm a Midwestern country boy. Like I, I am of the people who, when the massive storms hit, would be on the front porch. Watching, watching the tornado touchdown. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that. <laughs> that. That was like what we did. And then we would go in. Yes. I've spent so much time in weird cellars. Yeah. I can't tell you. <laughs> but it something is different about a storm in the country standing out watching a storm. But for some reason, ever since like moving, moving into town. Wow. Yeah, I said it. Whatever. <laughs> Storms make me so much more anxious. And I don't know huh. if it's because well, it's seems more out claustrophobic. Seems, yeah, I, yeah, maybe. It, storms feel more artificial when I'm not surrounded by nature. I get that. Yeah, I, 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 I can't think of a better way to describe that I feeling. I didn't live in the country, but I had relatives who did. So we would stand on the back porch mm-hmm. and watch the terror come until yeah. our parents were like, get inside and in the basement and you have these things that you collect that you put in the basement mm-hmm. like here's this blanket i like here's my radio here's oh, yeah. a candle the, the uh hand crank radio or the battery powered radio is always in the basement the hand crank yeah. how old are you <laughs> it's it's to generate its own electricity it's not like an old invention cm <laughs> 
in my head i'm just picturing you like are you imagining instead of a radio me starting a model t (laughs) yeah yeah here's my radio it's part butter churn i have to churn the music out churn the music to butter yeah we're just churning these tunes in the storm this is nothing how did we get here i have no idea storms so luckily they do head for the basement because sure enough full-on tree comes down and this giant limb takes out part of their roof and the entire picture window when they come up to see the damage the next day. I don't know if this is a thing because they they go down to the basement, the storm kind of backs off and they come back up and then it comes again and they go back down and they hear some damage and then it comes back like a third time mm. and that's when the, the tree comes through the house. And I didn't know if if that if it started yet, if that was part of it, or if it was just the mist the next day. See, I wonder if that uh, almost like um, aftershocks mm-hmm. of this tear in reality. Yeah, maybe well, that's it. I didn't take the storm as being a part of. I mean, we're not really given any clues one way or the other. Yeah, true. But my head canon is the storm isn't part of what happens next. My headcanon is this storm is so bad. It's just such a freak of nature storm. They say he says that it's like not once a century bad, mm. but pretty bad. And it just caused some sort of malfunction at uh, whether it exists or not is questionable. But Project <laughs> Arrowhead, that is what causes the mist to come that is interesting uh, like not i said we a, are not, not given we are not given <laughs> any hints that this is actually what happens project arrowhead is simply kind of mentioned in passing mm-hmm. yeah uh which is strange because in my head project arrowhead is such a huge yes, part yes. of the story <laughs> should, should we get into what project arrowhead is or that that happens it happens a bit later, but we can talk about it right now. Just the what we know about it. Yeah, uh, it's basically just town gossip because this is takes place in kind of rural-ish Maine, of course. <laughs> and our family uh, that we're following are town folk. They've been there for years. Uh, his father was inexplicably a famous painter uh, <laughs> that's mentioned once and then never mentioned again. But they've been in town, and then there are the tourist people who are kind of outsiders. Very standard, like, king, small main town. Yeah, mm-hmm. from here and from away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just love all the different rumors. Everybody has their yes. take yes. on what this place is. It's so great because he, he starts talking about there was this old drunk guy yeah. Who would talk about uh the molecules? Yeah. The, <laughs> yes. the the different molecules, <laughs> which reminded me so much of the the electricity yes. from revival. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought about Tommy knockers for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, too, yeah. But he he'd tell about how there's this government base uh just on the outskirts of town, which is true. Like you can go there and you see the the fences, the fenced off area. But everyone says it's different stuff. It's uh, there's a lady who just thinks it's one, Jesus, one of them is tomatoes. Yeah, it's, uh, just, it's the, just genetically yeah. engineering yeah. crops, and people say it's like a weather station or whatever. But this old man says it's they're doing experiments on yeah particles. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the demon particles. They're that, shooting atoms into the air. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Billy's like. They're already atoms in the air. And yeah, and that's really all we know yeah. is this guy kind of thinks about it in passing. 
But everybody who has their theory, quote, knows it because they know somebody. Oh, for a reason they can't yeah. really go yeah, into. Yeah, <laughs> I know somebody who was around there and they said they saw this. So it's it all is hearsay. that. Yeah. All yeah. that constantly. So I'm, I'm interested to see if we get more of Project Arrowhead in the book or if I'm maybe thinking of the movie or mm-hmm. maybe just I've built up this uh, theory in my head. <laughs> Out of nothing. I don't know. (laughs) Entirely could be. We'll find out. So let's jump to the next morning after they have survived the storm. Before we do, can we talk about, you you know, it's my favorite part. Dream sequence? Dream sequence. What did you guys make of that dream sequence? It's so fucking cool. Would you like to describe it? He, it's a simple dream. It's he is looking out at the lake at the city across the lake from them. And the city is being beset on by a god, a figure so large that its waist is obscured by a cloudless sky. <laughs> That's the wildest yes. phrase. That's horrifying. I, I, I love it. Here, this is Ben's uh, fear confessions. <laughs> uh, the idea of anything that big mm-hmm. is bad. I do not like it. The same reason yeah. I can't go out in like the ocean because mm, yeah. something that big could be down there. I don't if know. Something that That's big true. is down there. Don't do this to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not trying to freak you out. I truly believe that. I really thought you were going to back that up with I, a with an actual fact. Same. I was. I thought you were going to be like, yeah, no, the the colossal squid is actually that. I mean, we've all heard that, but we've spent four years with CM. That's on us to believe she had facts to back it up. Hey, I heard somebody talking about a thing they saw in the ocean. Uh-uh. I know it's true. Good enough for me. I hate it. <laughs> But yeah, that it's, uh, and the, the god is moving towards him and it just smoke is yeah coming like from where he was. It's super fucking creepy. I love it. It's so ominous. So the next morning, you know, we're assessing the damage. Everybody, like the power lines are down. There's some very cute family stuff. There's a lot of really good family building. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the, the kind of family in a light crisis? I don't know. Uh, what's his name? David? Dave? Yeah, Dave. Or David, yeah. Kind of giving me Jack Torrance. Really? Interesting. Why? The Maybe it's just the fact that this was obviously written in like the 70s. Him giving Billy sips of beer in the backyard. <laughs> sure, yeah. Okay, um, my dad let me sip his beer. <laughs> okay, that maybe I'm being unfair. But I, I don't know. It's between that and like how quickly he kind of loses his temper later on. Uh, I was like, this guy's not the best dude. Oh, okay, because I I got hung up a little bit on him losing his temper, which we'll get to. I'm not going to like really dive into this right now, but I understood it more when I reread it again. And he was talking about he didn't mention it about himself, but he was commenting on like three or four other people's very different from one another behavior and how it was their way of coping. Mm. And I think he just was like not able to control his emotions after everything that happened in the back room. That's understandable. Not trying to negate what you're saying, but no, I, I just didn't I, get those vibes. It's I, I get it. And uh, it's just, there's a few things, just a few of the ways mm-hmm. he acts and like how 
critical he is of uh specifically his asshole neighbor who is an asshole <laughs> he is an asshole but i don't know it just kind of kind of gave me like a this guy's not a bad dude but he's not like a nice guy oh. you could see him calling somebody an officious prick yeah you yeah guys i he's tom jane to me oh, i can't yeah. not so that's i see fair. that i think i am a little so biased. the movie is going to hang over this episode yes, so sorry. much We're, i'm not going to mention it again oh no it's <laughs> completely understandable the movie is a goddamn masterpiece it's so yes. rock solid not to get ahead of us there is a piece of character information dropped in this section as he's talking about, uh, you know, the the back and forth list stuff with his wife and he's thinking about other people in town. This is the first mention of Mrs. Carmody. Mm-hmm. And there's a line here that is so important for later on and I'd never caught it until this read. Uh, because he's describing that Mrs. Carmody basically runs uh, the needful things that's in <laughs> town. And he mentions that Mrs. Carmody has gotten into Steph's head with her saying like the the Black Summer or whatever the that mm-hmm. legend was of like this weather. Doomsday kind of yeah, weird. When the, the lake freezes over and it stays cold enough that the the ice on the lake turns black. Yes. So uh, the quote here is: She exercised a rather unpleasant hold over Steph's mind, which was typically practical and hard headed. Something we are going to, that's that's some hard foreshadowing mm. for Mrs. Carmody. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I just, I never caught that piece of character building because I know that becomes a thing for people is like, why would, why does anybody listen to anybody like that? Yeah. We, we dropped that she has a gift for it. There's like foreshadowing just all over this first part. It's yeah. amazing and I love it. I really just... Sorry, to, we didn't really answer your question, Josh. <laughs> I love the family stuff, um, especially because we know through this part that we're covering that we don't see Steph again. Mm-hmm. And we get enough of their relationship and enough of her that that upsets me. Yes. And you you like them. You just like all of them. And I loved when... Billy, he said something to Billy. I think it was in relation to the note to the radio station. And he's like, Billy's like, oh, that's horseshit, right? (laughs) My son doesn't really have a sense of humor. (laughs) Yeah. the Was he five? He's five years old. And Billy is in King's sweet spot of writing kids. (laughs) This is one of the good ones. Yeah, it is. While they're hearing people try to clean up around their houses, next door he hears his neighbor trying desperately to start his chainsaw. This is a great scene because he doesn't yeah. sneak up, but he carefully makes his way as if he's going and, you know, just around his own property and sees him with his very expensive chainsaw just swear just calling it a cunt just everything he's so angry and i loved because we do get the like this neighbor is a jerk he they had a property dispute and david won he had to take him to court and then he's like well you only won because you're a town person and i'm an out-of-towner and i love when king writes about town people versus out-of-town people so he goes back then to his house with a smile on his face Oh, and we find out, this made me sad, in some of the family building piece, we come to understand that his dad, when he was like still almost a kid, built the boathouse 
mm-hmm. that the neighbor's tree that he should have cut down because it was dead ends up crushing. Yeah, there's no love lost between mm-hmm. these neighbors. But David tries to take the high road <laughs> when he notices that Brent's been standing behind him for a good long time while he's been running his chainsaw just fine. And he stops and he has that conversation with him. And Brent basically says, you know, can I get can I borrow your car head into town? A tree fell on my T-bird. His 1960 mm-hmm. like mint condition T-bird. And I love that this is the, old, <laughs> the first time where he's like. I legitimately felt bad for him in that it, moment. <laughs> I feel like this softened him. I feel yeah, like not, yeah. if not for the car. They it do a happened. great job introducing this character because you are told he's a an asshole, but he is introduced in such a sympathetic way that you're like, oh, maybe these guys can hash it out. Yeah. Like you get this feeling of like, Okay, Dave doesn't like him, mm-hmm. but he doesn't seem like an outwardly bad dude. Yeah, they just had a so, bad experience yeah. together. So when it kind of ramps up mm-hmm. in a little bit, you're like, ah, oh, this guy is kind of a dick. You mean when he I fucks David's wife? Oh <laughs> well, yeah, that's not great. <laughs> yeah, that part I it is great because you're like you said, he's very sympathetic in this introduction. And yeah, David says, says, We're running into town. You can ride with us. And they go inside and they have a beer. And yeah, he's just staring at the front of Steph's shirt. <laughs> and he's like, That's the moment I knew we'd never be friends. Okay, can I talk about something here? Sure. Mm-hmm. Because he he does this, he does it twice. And when David and Billy and Brent are leaving then to go to the store, David's kind of started to have these like weird feelings that he can't really mm-hmm. like feelings of dread that he mm-hmm. can't identify. And he just has this overwhelming feeling that he wants Steph to come with them. And she's like, no, I got to do some gardening and looks at her husband and then looks at Brent and looks back like kind of that mm-hmm. that marriage communication. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be in the same vehicle <laughs> with this guy anymore. And he's he gets it, but he tries again just because he has that bad feeling. And I couldn't help but think, you know, later when he's leaving, he's like, then I will never see my wife again. It turns out just horrible. King. Yeah. I thought, oh, shit. If this like. I don't want to say it's Brent's fault because that's just wildly like overacting. <laughs> sure. and but if he hadn't done that, she might have gone with mm-hmm. and she wouldn't have presumably died. <laughs> yeah, I feel like she probably still would have stayed. There was so much damage around there. She might have. She might have. But uh, who knows? Can I real quick talk about his the, this like feeling that he has? Yeah, because he like oh, yeah, you we said, missed, we didn't talk about the seeing the mist. On the lake. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because, yeah, they, they are out in the yard and looking over everything. There was a downed power line yeah, a bunch of, that we didn't mention. That description of that was disturbing. Kind of made me think of tentacles right yeah. around. Yeah. Yes. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but they, they've looked out on the lake and coming from that town where he had the dream, he sees this wall of mist that he thinks might be moving toward them. It's not but, moving away with the direction of the breeze. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, so he he has this kind of unease and mm-hmm. it kind of escalates pretty quickly to like he's afraid for no reason. I didn't I didn't think it worked. It 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 was just there didn't feel like enough reason. Usually, I mean, there's lots of premonitions in mm-hmm. King, but this it, 
it was just like, I'm scared and you need to be scared with me just because See, I tell I, you to. <laughs> I felt it. I, it worked for me because I was thinking about how before I knew the story, before I had read it through the first time several years ago, it wasn't so powerful or I feel like strongly described or worded that you could kind of like read over it and not necessarily pick up on it. Like the foreshadowing with his son and with Stephanie, it, it seemed subtle in a way. And I think going back to our conversation about being afraid by natural disasters, mm -hmm. there sometimes is something very unnerving and almost supernatural in those for me sometimes. So that like connected with my brain. Mm. Oh, maybe I'm just weird. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. It I think it's effective in the way it builds on. He notices first off, he can't see the town anymore. Then there's the fact that they can't get a radio signal from any station north of that mist. Mm -hmm. And the third thing that the that it's like a ruler straight line that it's coming out in. That's how it looks. And and then, of course, the going against the wind. All of these things are just creepy enough that it mm -hmm. freaks me out. I also like when he gaslights his wife. She's also freaked <laughs> out by it. And he's like, oh, it's blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, are you sure? He's like, no, if I was sure, I'd be a weatherman. He doesn't say it like snotty, but it's like, yeah, at least he's honest. <laughs> All right, let's get to uh, the federal food supermarket. This moment right here when they get to the store and they're walking in and David goes to call home and then Billy grabs Brent's hand mm -hmm. to walk across the street. That moment is what made me think it was going to be two adversaries become unlikely partners. Yeah, same. I thought that's what it was setting the tone for. And it, I so sadly wrong. Uh, that's so cool, though, because it does make you grieve that what could have been later more. So they go into after watching uh, an old couple walk straight into the fucking door. I love, I love this. <laughs> I forgot about this. <laughs> okay, and this is what I'm talking about with our land hurricane. We didn't have power for seven days. And when King's writing about all of these just the way they're looking for, you know, they don't feel the air conditioning. Yeah. Later, he looks up to see if the lights went out because it got inexplicably yeah. <laughs> darker. And he's like, the lights hadn't been on the whole time uh -huh. I've been in here. And it's it's all those little things. When you walk into the house and your power's been out for three days mm. and you still flip the switch. Yeah. Or you notice the house has the feeling of silence that does not exist. Even when, you know, your TV and radio and everything is all off. There's still all of these sounds the of electricity that you never noticed before. Yeah, I'm not going to get the exact phrase right, but he talks about the, like, the general unease that happens in America when the power yeah. is out. Yeah. And I'm like, I feel that so hard. <laughs> I, anytime the power is out, I wish I was fucking dead. It's the worst. <laughs> I would not survive any any apocalypse. I'm out. There's no refrigeration. Nah. Game over, man. Nah, I'm, I'm done. It's like all of these little injustices that aren't like oh, many of them aren't a really big deal. It's like trying to staple some papers and you you do it and there's no staples in there. And it's such a like like unjustifiably upsetting moment. It's, it feels this is the uh, worst thing that's ever happened to me in this moment. Even though, <laughs> yeah, I feel it. 
how would you guys describe the how they find the store when they walk in? I my worst nightmare. <laughs> I can hardly deal with. I have to go into a grocery store no matter what time of day. I usually try to go at like 2 a.m. on a weekend when no one is there. I have to have sunglasses on and earbuds in. And I just like if anybody is within five feet of me, I'm very upset. I hate grocery stores. That's wild. It's totally normal, Josh. Oh, no, I I <laughs> almost always go in with uh, at the very least uh, headphones I have to be. Interesting. Uh, I have to be blasting like some fucking really angry metal to get me pumped up enough to be in a grocery to store. To deal with all the people who meander as as widely as they can <laughs> in front of you, like they're the only people in the oh, grocery I, store. Unfortunately, I, opposite. Uh, that's me. I'm that person. <laughs> I, I am. I am putting on music to deal with the uh, discomfort of. Being the possibility of being viewed in public. Uh, that's my va- deal. Weird shock, Ben. I'm the opposite. I go, I don't wear headphones no, or anything of because you don't. there's You're always like, hey, a chance. There's I'm always here. a chance I'm gonna run into somebody I know. That's like the, the worst possible <laughs> yeah. outcome of going to the yes, grocery store. Seeing people you know. Here's the thing. If they get if to you see ever me. see me at a grocery store, <laughs> we've never met. Okay? <laughs> Yeah, don't talk to me. Don't either. gaslight me in a high V. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this grocery store, as I said, our worst nightmare, me and Ben. <laughs> it, the way the line is described, I got lost in reading because it seemed so much larger than any store I've ever been in. That's the could thing. Possibly I, cu- be. I couldn't get the size of the place down. Me neither. Because it's described and just because it's the 70s i guess i have a very specific <laughs> image of what that means and i guess in my head that's small i i was like yeah. picturing it as a, a small like local like market. a mom and pop yeah yeah convenience but student. then later were- on when there's like there's 60 people in here yeah it's like oh jesus how crowded is it and i mean it doesn't it's a seem like it. it's a chain yeah. so i figure uh. it's probably a decent size probably like department store size ish yeah, that makes I, sense. I would have just left my cart full of food and gone home. <laughs> <laughs> so they uh, see this chaos, people grabbing odds and ends. Uh, David and Norton go their separate ways. We see uh, Bud and Ollie, the two people who run the supermarket. They're at the checkout line just trying desperately to keep it moving because yeah, everybody's no uncomfortable. And, so everybody, uh, they have to hand calculate yeah. everything and then make notes and sucks. <laughs> yeah. Billy, at this point, sees that there are two army men, and they've just been talking about Project Arrowhead. Are they hot? They might be. We don't know, because they're men, so King doesn't think it's <laughs> yeah. important to talk Sorry, about. Sorry, he didn't describe their balls <laughs> so, yeah, swinging yeah. as they walk through the parking lot. <laughs> also, it's Billy who sees them, so I don't know if I want that interpretation from his perspective. I feel like it never matters who's seeing <laughs> a woman <laughs> in yeah. a book. <laughs> oh, and it's every woman it's either oh wow she's really pretty she won't be mentioned again or wow she's kind of fat and she won't be mentioned again if every if if anyone listening if you ever wonder why our heads are so fucked up why we're so focused on how we look all the time and shit like this it sucks (laughs) i bet they're hot though it's just probably yeah Uh, as everybody's in the store 
they're, they're, at this point, they're in line, and nobody wants to move from the line and risk losing their spot, but they start hearing sirens. There's police sirens, but there's also the uh, the siren, that the alarm siren in town, like the tornado siren going off. Mm-hmm. And they hear all this chaos. And then a man comes sprinting in the door, yelling that there's something in the and fog. he's got a bloody nose. Yeah. And people like rush to the windows to look out and see what's happening. It happens so fast. Yeah. It rules. <laughs> it is really cool. Can, and is this when a few people actually leave? Because th- this might be my favorite part when people, because they can't, they have to get out of line to really see. Because they mm-hmm. can see out, but they can't see a distance. Because right. the front of the store is just windows, like mm-hmm. ceiling to floor. And the one guy, like Ollie is cool. We know that right away. But the mm-hmm. other guy, Mr. Bud. Bra- Bud is really upset that people are leaving with their groceries in their hand that they haven't paid for. And I get that. But he takes some lady's mushrooms and she she goes, normally this might annoy me, but I loved it. It's the best part of the book. She goes, give me back my mushies. And it's, it's described that the unexpected term of endearment caused two men nearby to laugh. And it I, I imagined it as a tension-breaking moment. Yeah. It is extremely funny because of how fucking out of place it seems in this book. It is just, just indignant mushies. Where's my mushies? It's so stupid. And yeah, you're right. The 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 two guys. The the fact that not a bunch of people. It's just like two dudes that were standing nearby. That's what makes it's it like, funny. That's yeah. really funny. Yeah. It's good. And then uh, we very soon escalate to horror as the mist starts moving into the parking lot. They can only see four feet out the door and it causes this massive panic like Sia mentioned and there's nearly a stampede of people rushing out and it talks about people rushing out and they hear sounds and then it just says and they never saw those people again. And David sees something that he doesn't think anyone else saw which was one guy it didn't seem like he ran into the mist. It seemed like he was at some point pulled into it. Not He couldn't see anything pulling, but just the way his body moved through mm-hmm. and his arms kind of went up. It was like something got a hold of him and pulled him in. Because that's why he grabs Norton. Norton's ready to walk out and check mm-hmm. it out, too. And he manages to pull him back. And it's like just after he stops and that you start hearing the screams coming from mm-hmm. the mist. And I think it was before this too. Oh, cause he, we didn't mention he tried to call stuff on the payphones, which also aren't working because he just keeps having this feeling about her. Like he really wishes that she was with them. And before people start stampeding out, he thinks like maybe we should just leave now and go home. But then says by then it was probably already too late. Most likely they Norton fights him a little bit. And they hear one of the screams. I love the way it's described that they hear a shriek and then it's cut off so suddenly. Mm-hmm. And then it's dead silence. And Norton starts saying, you know, riling people up about we should go. And then there's just a all we get is a thud, a thud so hard and heavy. It shakes the entire store and cracks the glass, cracks, gets a chunk of glass out of one of the mm-hmm. windows. It hits so hard. Can I mention here the I thought this was interesting. Later, when David tries to get Brent to help with something, I was like, why? Why him? Like, he's an out-of-towner. Why does David think people would listen? 
And then I realized, because he kind of naturally took that position right here when he was starting mm-hmm. to try to gather people. And so in retrospect, it made sense. It's like, oh, okay. He he sort of showed that he was willing to and could successfully take on that kind of leadership. Yeah. Well, he's he, a lawyer. He's right? a he's a very yeah, charismatic. But it's just that out of town thing that I, yeah. but yeah. It's something, for some reason, I, I rarely do this, like, casting characters in my head as I read stuff. You rarely do this. I feel like we talk about who you'd cast all the time. Okay, so I rarely <laughs> consciously do this. Yeah, you're, co- you're totally right. <laughs> Fucking called out. I thought you were being cute. Like, you're doing a bit. <laughs> anyway, I, I couldn't not picture, and this is just going to be for a very select few, I feel like, um, the guy that plays uh, Chuck... Saul Goodman's brother in Good, oh, I haven't seen uh, Better, Call in Saul. Better Call Saul. Yeah, I haven't seen it. So the thud has happened. That is when the town siren stops also. And that's that first settling of now there's nothing outside. Now I want to talk about the woman and her request for help. Mm-hmm. There is this lady that at this point mentions that she is here and her two kids are at home. She's hot. <laughs> very important. Very important that she's hot. Well, because if she's hot, someone should want to help her. Is I think what <laughs> King is trying to say. <laughs> that That's is what, the that is the that fucking is the subtext right. of the story. <laughs> uh, but she says she has two kids at home. Uh, I don't remember how old they are, but they're both very young. And she says like sometimes the older one forgets to watch the littler one, and is yeah. begging people for help, and no one is answering her. And she's it says, "I fucking hate this line." And it's in the movie, and it makes me so mad. It's the won't anybody walk a, see a woman home? Walk a lady home. I love you. it. Well, I hate it so it's much. Way, I mean, it's this is set back <laughs> sure. too, so I feel like it's more it's more normal language sure. that would be used. But <laughs> it's still so like after all of this, trying to appeal to chivalry. And nobody wants to die. No, one guy tries, but his wife, who had been arguing with him earlier mm-hmm. about where an earthquake was, like such a typical old married couple thing, he starts to step forward and his wife's like, mm-mm. And she asks a few other people and she asks David. And, oh, this bothers me so much. He picks up Billy like and says, like, I, I picked Billy up and held him like a shield. Hell yeah. I mean, he's, he's right. Like, mm-hmm. he shouldn't be the one to go out, but it just... It is tough. Yeah. So she goes out all by herself and no, nothing dramatic. They just watch as she silently disappears into the mist and makes it home safely. And her kids are okay and everything is fine for this family. Yep. We're going to get to why that makes me super angry in a few episodes. (laughs) (laughs) The the idea of that conceit makes me furious. Um, Now we we have another small time jump. Uh, Our next chapter... I love the chapter titles in The Mist. Some of them are so long. They're so long and they're just <laughs> they're like a summary bullet point of, idea. Yeah. yeah. Like this one is called The Storage Area, Problems with the Generator, What Happened to the Bag Boy. <laughs> <laughs> that is that chapter. <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's the whole chapter. Yeah. So next chapter. Well, <laughs> so we come into this chapter with Billy having a well-deserved full-on breakdown. Mm-hmm. Like this poor kid, just oh, he just wants his mom. He has no way to understand what's happening. And he's asking if she's all right. Mm-hmm. And David believes he's lying to him when he says she is. And he's trying to comfort him and just doing a terrible job. Mm-hmm. This is it's terrible. one of the most stressful aspects of this uh, story for me is 
just thinking of any child living through this disaster is very upsetting. It is too easy for me to put myself in that headspace of having no idea what's going on and being terrified of things that even the adults can't understand. It's the thought of David being there and having to comfort this kid when he himself is uh, terrified of things beyond his control. It's, it's very upsetting. The way in this book that over the course of a handful of hours, we see Billy waste away basically is one of the most horrifying Mm -hmm. aspects of the story to me. It's like, uh, it makes me think of this, uh, the line in the shining when, uh, it it makes a comment that that's the moment Danny Torrance would have gone insane if he hadn't spent the past several months scared out of his mind already. Mm. This is that, but for somebody who wasn't scared for a long time straight, mm-hmm. like that's what Billy is. That's how it feels to me. Yeah. So Billy finally goes to sleep. David goes to look in the back for like a, a cargo blanket or something to, to wrap him up with. And, and that's he. And that's when he steps into the back room and, starts coughing because it's filling with exhaust because the generator that is only keeping like the beer cooler on and some of the produce running, mm-hmm. something's blocking the exhaust and it's all coming back. So David shuts it off and everything's fine. Yep. End of story. For a few <laughs> seconds until several people barge back trying to figure out what the fuck happened well, back here. Before that happens, so he hears something that upsets him like a, a slithering that he can't quite identify. It's not a sound that he's heard before, heard animals or people make. It's another thing that I uh, absolutely, absolutely relate to. He he hears this noise and says he immediately reverts to a four-year-old yeah. scared of something in the dark. Uh, he falls and hits his head. Like he can't even get out. He has to calm himself like, yeah. and focus. <laughs> I get that. And there's barely, a, the only light is coming through the, crease in the door Mm -hmm. because now he's killed the power uh that's when ollie and some other people run back to see what's on the generator what happened to the generator and he to david's credit tries to tell them i heard something out there and they're thinking he's crazy and this the thing that i love most about just this section is how real it is because david is trying to say Turned it off. Something's blocking it. They see a problem they can fix in the middle of a problem that's so far beyond their mm-hmm. understanding. And that's one of the instances that he acknowledges that this is how they're coping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He copes by getting angry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's such a natural response, I feel mm-hmm. like, that don't let's Well, they feel ignore... like they can handle something. They're not scared anymore. Yeah. It's better to feel useful than scared. Yeah, so the plan becomes the bag boy is going to, they're going to turn the generator on, open the door, the loading door, he'll squeeze out, unclog the exhaust, come back in, everything's fine. What's his penis doing? Low and to the left. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Yeah. Sorry. You guys, listeners, it's, (laughs) I only make fun of it because it's funny to me. (laughs) We didn't get a description of how hot the bad boy uh, is. Yeah, so. yeah. That, that's fair. Uh, would either of you like to talk about what happens here when they fire up the generator? Yeah, it all goes fucking dicks up. Yeah, like real fast. <laughs> uh, they they turn on the generator and the bag boy opens the door 
and is very quick quickly greeted by tentacles. Very large tentacles. Uh, I believe they mention a tentacle that is five feet wide. Yes. So follow that back in your imagination to whatever it's attached to. No. I I (laughs) I had to reread it to be like, am I reading this wrong? Because that's too big. That's insane. It's It's upsettingly big. Uh and it it immediately grabs onto the bag boy. It has giant suckers that begin burrowing into his skin. Yeah, it's eating him. It's eating him with the tentacles. And, uh, yeah, he is uh, quickly overwhelmed. Uh, They are writhing over him, and he's holding on to the frame of this doorway somehow. Uh, I expected this kid to get ripped apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because of how many of these tentacles are around him. And David uh, runs forward. He's the only one to try and stop this. And he grabs the kid and has to back off when a tentacle, he says he feels it brush against him. And he knows that if it would have touched him, if it would have got him, he would have been going out into the mist too. This is, this part is so upsetting because he, when that's happening and he's like yelling at the other guys, like close the door, help. And everyone is frozen and he's watching more and more tentacles come in and he realizes he is also surrounded by them because he's got, he has this kid like by the waist Mm -hmm. and the lower half of him is being pulled away. And he thinks about Billy in the aisle alone and that if he something happens to him, maybe Brent would watch out for him, but Billy would be all alone. Mm-hmm. And he makes the decision to let go. And he sees, the, before the kid gets sucked away into the mist, he sees into his eyes and knows that he is completely aware of what's happening to him. That's... Uh... When King does that, that's the thing that fucks me up the most when mm-hmm. King will just say, and it looked like their eyes were fully aware as something horrible is happening. Which is even like, because this kid, before this was happening, happening was being openly hostile. Yeah. He was basically mocking David for being scared. He was kind scared. of being a greaser. He was being an 18 year old He was being a kid. total greaser. Because yeah. <laughs> he like... Uh, when they first make the... I know you the, wouldn't go out, yeah, but I will. Yeah. That, uh, when they're like, first like, David says, I wouldn't open that door. And he mm-hmm. just openly is like, yeah, I know you wouldn't, pussy. <laughs> uh, and then when this happens, like the idea of being like, I was wrong. Yeah. Oh no. Uh, yeah. I'm, fortunately for me, if anything like this ever happens, I'm such a weenie that if anything was like tentacling or mm-hmm. or consuming me, I would go into shock so quickly. I would not be aware. So don't worry, guys. <laughs> oh, okay. It is what is happening around them is also crazy because Jim, the one of the guys who was fighting David about this, is just saying you should have said what you meant better <gasps> over and over. That's- like. Makes yeah. me angry. So infuriating. Well, it makes David angry, too, because he beats the shit out of him. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Thankfully, Ollie pulls himself together, and Ollie's the person who turns mm-hmm. on the generator so David can grab a broom handle and close the door. Mm-hmm. It severs one of the tentacles that's still inside, and they are left standing in the darkness again uh, with just some flashlights. And yeah, and David... Beats the shit out of Jim. And uh, what's the other guy's name? Myron. Myron. Yeah, he beats the shit out of both of them and it's great. Well, no, he doesn't beat up the other one. 
Now the other Verbally, guy. Oh, he does. Yeah, Ollie yeah. has Ollie stops him yeah. from attacking Myron. Also, <laughs> yeah. I. So, what did you think of this reaction? We've kind of talked around it a little bit. Of David Sanger. Yeah, I understood it only when we really articulated what he saw right before that, because no one else tried to help. He had tried to stop it. He watched this kid die. He watched the understanding and knowing that this kid knew what was happening to him. So I think he's in a really elevated place and I can see why he would just start punching. Yeah, it does make in retrospect, it makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. where in this, in this moment, we kind of have to stop seeing David as the protagonist, in my opinion, because from here on out, it's, it's kind of a survival it's the yeah. well. The whole story turns into this. Uh, the monsters are. What's the name of the episode? Uh, the monsters arrive on Maple Street or whatever it's called. It's the classic Twilight Zone episode where it's uh, all a metaphor for the Cold War because it's a Twilight Zone episode where uh, strange things start happening and all of the neighbors turn on each other and all of them Mm -hmm. become suspicious of each other. Ah. And it becomes this, like everyone slowly kind of moving away from humanity uh, in the name of survival. I see. Uh, For younger listeners, the walking dead. Sure. (laughs) Mine's better, but that's fine. Um, Yeah. So I like it better Mm -hmm. as like a David is on the brink of, just losing it. Yeah. I mean, Ollie's not wrong when he stops him from beating sure. up the other guys. Like, it's not going to help anything, man. <laughs> they do decide before heading back out into the supermarket that they have to tell everybody. They have to they have to let people know there really is something scary out there. They just have to figure out how to do it. Oh, they're gonna do it by getting really drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean again, you well, know, the two of them do. Ollie and David try real hard yeah, to I no would... avail. Oh, I would just hope that somebody had really hard drugs. I would just start <laughs> doing all the drugs. Uh, this is also when we find out that it is 12, 15 p.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not much That's, time has passed. Yeah. 25 minutes, he says. Bananas. Mm-hmm. That so much shit happens in this short span of time. So David has this idea. If we're going to have to tell everybody this news, we should get somebody who people will listen to, mm-hmm. perhaps. And so he grabs An out-of-towner. <laughs> But like you said, he he stepped up and got people's attention. So they need that on their side. He's not going to do that here. Oh, boy. This is our other like really clear instance of David recognizing Norton's way of coping is to just like this isn't happening. Denial. Yeah, because they have evidence. Yeah. Let's talk about (laughs) their conversation with Norton, the... Really, you can boil it down to they tell him everything and Norton says, good one. You're playing a prank on me. This is a, such a trigger for me. Yeah. Uh, the the idea of willful ignorance uh, yes, drives me insane. Sure. Because like CM just said, they have evidence. There is a severed tentacle in the other room. They should have just brought it out. But they, they he should've. still would well, have, yeah. I'm sure, found... Be- especially because every time they touch it, it's still kind of alive. Yeah, yeah I guess I get why they don't want yeah. to touch it. <laughs> um, but he, they say, you know, okay, come into the other room, see it, listen to it, hear it for yourself, and he just outright says no. And there's no reason for him to say no other than 
I kind of know you're going to be right mm-hmm. and I don't want to deal with it. And that drives me uh, insane. It drives David insane too, because again, here he resorts like to just almost instant anger. It escalates. And this has kind of been more where I see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And Norton's like, Go for it, man, because he's basically th- – he's like, I'll kick your ass if you don't come back here with me. He's going to drag him back kicking and screaming. He's like, do it. Beat up a guy who's old enough to be your dad and has a heart condition. And one of the drunk assholes is like, yeah, fuck him. Fuck his heart condition. Beat him up. <laughs> but he, he refuses, and he starts flipping out. He starts screaming, and then Bud – comes over and he's like what's going on here and he ends up being the one who david gets to go back into the room and more of like a i think that was ollie who's like just do it and get this over with Mm -hmm. and so bud's like okay fine and the second he goes back there he's freaked out too like he Mm -hmm. grabs david yeah this moment is such a pivot point for the story though with the norton Mm -hmm. and david back and forth like I wanted more than anything because it, so many moments uh, it happens more in TV, I feel, than it does in books. But you have those moments of like, man, why don't you just say what you mean mm. to this other character and get something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And David <laughs> flat out says, like quietly to Norton, I need you. Mm-hmm. And I wanted him so desperately to respond hear to that, it, yeah. you know? Because you don't often get so like that level just of says, vulnerability. I need your help. Help me. That's why I'm coming to you. Yeah, you're totally and right. Then, nope. Ugh. All because he cannot face the idea of something he can't comprehend. I do like when David and Bud come back out, and Bud's like, "All right, people, we have a serious problem." He says it cooler. <laughs> I can't remember the exact words. <laughs> That I love that, yeah, Bud, is, his whole thing is still protecting the store. He's, oh yeah, that's, sorry, that's his uh, coping mechanism. Yeah. He's, because he, he gives them a hard time about beer and mm. a few of them are like, uh, we're past that point. Doesn't oh. matter right now. So he's like taking down names because he's going to keep a tap yeah, of, of who owes There's what. There's a little bit that it's, it's just a throwaway line that freaks me out because uh, David says he's keeping tabs. He, he's going to tell this, uh, the store not thinking that the other stores in these mm, other towns yep. might not exist anymore. The wet, as far as they are, they can tell the Eastern seaboard may not, not exist anymore. <laughs> that constant. Th- that's, that's a thing that freaks me out in real life. When I think about large scale disasters like this is being in the 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 moment of where you are and not knowing the extent of it. Yes. Uh very scary. I love having now reading this again that I have read Annihilation, the Southern Reach trilogy. Yeah. All three of those books. Literally rereading it right now. Yeah. So, so listeners, if you want to know more about that, check out uh, one of our Patreon episodes where we talk about it. It's it's another story like this where there's just this thing that blocks you from understanding what's going on past that point. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. And we should point out that before Bud went back there, that was Mrs. Carmody's first big speech that the mist. Is oh my dead. gosh. Yeah. Sorry. In my head, I had them all lumped. together. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to. Well, I mean, it is hard not to because the Mrs. Carmody stuff is very similar each time and it's only dropped yeah. here and there. And she scares some hot teen girls. Yes, definitely <laughs> scares the hot teen girls. We need like girls. a stinger for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, it's boner talk. Oh and we yeah, need boner the, talk. Yeah. If anybody out there wants to write a sting for boner talk, please feel free. 
the next chapter covers the next four hours. I didn't realize how excited I was to have a time frame in this book. Yeah. I really, I dig stories happening on a clock. Mm-hmm. Countdowns obviously are the best, but <laughs> knowing that so much has already happened before noon and then knowing that we are just about halfway and we're still only advancing four mm-hmm. hours, just it makes me so happy it is really that cool. this is the worst day of anybody's existence ever and we get to read about it <laughs> and not experience it. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, So at this point, Norton has become the leader of uh, the Flat Earthers, a group of like (laughs) 10 people who have just banded together. Yeah. What an interesting group that must be. I my only consolation with this group is that it keeps getting smaller. (laughs) (laughs) I do really love that. Every time they bring it up, it's like it starts at 10 to 12. Now it's eight. Yeah. Now it's five. You guys ever think about how you would react in situations like this? Because this makes me think, Mm. like, would I be in real life? Like, we, we, the three of us, consume a lot of horror, a lot of fantasy, a lot of sci-fi. And so I like to think that in a situation that would stretch the imagination, something that we would consider in real life impossible, if it happened, I'd be like, okay, I'm adapting to new information. I just saw tentacles, so (laughs) I got to believe that that was real. But there is a part of me that's like, "Mm," the the idea of being like, nah, I can't, I can't accept, I can't accept this (laughs) seems tempting. (laughs) (laughs) Tempting, I think, is the right word. I, listeners, I'm rolling up my sleeves. I just want you to have this visual. I have taken first aid and crisis training. (laughs) So I feel like that would kick in. Tentacles are no. And I'd like to think that that all of the crap I've had to do and like for school and for the job I do and all the crap I lived through that I hope that I would be flexible and adapt. I think it depends on who you're with, too. If you have mm, yeah. like who you see is that strong person who you are drawn to and want to follow. So if that person you see is Norton, then maybe you do kind of fall into accepting that this isn't real and protecting yourself that way. If you see David as a a stand-up person in the community and you believe in what he says, maybe you're a little more on that side of things. So I think there are a lot of things that play into that, but first aid training would have me set until I saw blood. And then I'd be like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm a disaster nester. So if something terrible is happening, I will batten down the hatches wherever I am. And this is where I live and die until this is over. (laughs) Uh, Fun fact, my old house, you guys were both there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever noticed my barricade brackets by my front and back doors. I had two by fours. I could literally barricade (laughs) all my doors and windows in my old house. Amazing. Uh, My dream, my dream is to live in a fortress that I could with like <laughs> I wish you like, guys could see his face when like, he says this <laughs> like touch of a button remember the first purge movie I want that house I want a house that at the touch of a button metal shutters over my doors and windows Ben does does Josh seem aroused right now <laughs> I, it's a very weird energy oh Christ it's a very weird energy you're giving off I'm not gonna lie <laughs> I don't even know what you said. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> I threw you off. No. Uh, that's, how, that's how I do. So I guess we're going to Josh's okay. house, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, uh, that's how I, how I respond to crises. I, I yeah. lock down and I will, I will weather the storm mm-hmm. until the storm passes. Yeah. Stay put. Yeah. Now, this scene is one of my favorites. It is, you know, Flat Earth Society be damned. Ollie challenges Norton to, if he is so sure nothing's wrong, go outside the front door, walk all the way around to the back, grab a can out of the recycling, bring it back as proof. Also reasonable. Like, what a great idea. reasonable. Ollie is the fucking MVP of this uh, whole situation. I I like him so much more than David. uh, (laughs) Because when we first kind of are getting brief descriptions of a bunch of people in the in the store ollie is described as kind of this like uh, chubby like unassuming in- ineffectual he's, guy uh kind uh, of a kind of a he's described as gay like yes, in in yes. a way that <laughs> when writing this you might because he has a pinky ring and he's really nice and soft-spoken <laughs> yeah exactly that's so i did not get that at all oh the, yeah, the, the line of i i yeah. when i think of ollie i always kind of assumed he was afraid of girls big big air yeah. quotes yeah like <laughs> it's it is at least heavily implied uh-huh. and even if it wasn't heavily implied that's just that's how I, that's I saw him and once shit starts going down he is from the get-go calm just calm and he he gets stuff done in the garage he's the guy that goes and turns the generator off he he's mm-hmm. the guy that is quietly without really trying he becomes the like go-to secondhand man mm-hmm. And I, I just respect the hell out of that, especially like once we get into this scene of them all like gathering together and trying to figure things out. David looks at him and can see the absolute hopelessness in his eyes. And yet he's still like keeping his cool for the and good participating, of still yes. planning, still willing to be part of things. Not not like the hopelessness where you just be like. I don't give a shit. We're all going to die. Who cares? Yeah. You walk away. He, he's, he's strong. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I, he's my favorite he's character. The fucking best. Mrs. Carmody starts another one of her rants talking about blood sacrifice. Uh, <laughs> then a random oh, hero but, smacks her across the can, face. Can we point out though, that when she talks about that, David, and she, she pulls her hand away from her slapped face and there's blood and she's like, see, but David says that he, he, how does he put it? It's he's thinking about it from a future time frame yes. and thinking. If yeah. I had known then, well, what no, he's I know try, now, he he right. hopes that she didn't mean what eventually yeah. he knows she did actually mean. Yeah, he's. It's like, just creepy. It's it's another bit. I mean, we know because we've read it, but it's another bit of foreshadowing that if you catch that, you're like, what? <laughs> the fuck? He thought he was hoping she meant like, oh, a dog, because there are dogs in the store. People brought their pets in. Yeah. It's also we don't really. The way the story's being told, because we get the things yes. like, I never saw her again. We never saw like mm-hmm. it's funny because like we we've read the story. We know what it's the what the subtle. reveal of the framework yeah. is. I don't want to talk about it yet, but it's very interesting. It is because you it again, it's that kind of foreshadowing. I'm talking about the whole episode. It's almost it, it almost goes by unnoticed. It's really cool. 
So in order to do something, because at this point people just need something to do, they start stacking fertilizer and dog food bags by the plate glass windows mm-hmm. because it's going to be nightfall. In they don't a few know how hours. big those tentacles are, but that's fine. <laughs> right. Got to do something. No kidding. And they make w- like little narrow windows so they yeah. can keep watch, which is also cool. It's so great. The aura of hopelessness over this story is it, it's weirdly nihilistic, mm-hmm. like the. the idea of david lets them put these bags up without saying anything but we know and he knows that this is all for nothing yes yeah. like Absolutely. there's uh he saw one of the the tentacles in the back room that was severed at the time right squeeze a bag of dog food so hard it exploded yep. mm-hmm. uh and they're like it doesn't matter these are 25 pounds 50 pounds whatever it does not matter if they decide to come in here they're coming in here. And that level of like, what's the, cause there's a point where Billy asks, will this be over? Not when will this be over? Will this be over? Yep. Is so deeply upsetting. Yeah. Ugh. Again, the foreshadowing, like yeah. all these small minor moments that I think get into your brain and make you feel the hopelessness. Well, it's also the burden of knowledge. The people who are putting that plan in action don't know what we know Mm -hmm. about what's out there. I also think it just I I personally have never been in knock on all the wood. There is a a real disaster situation like this. But I can imagine the the shock and the fear and all of that making it feel like, you know, when things are going bad, this is just how life is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so goddamn scary. That's that's just a fucking real human fear. When he when they start talking about how people are kind of splitting off into groups and making so themselves comfortable, mm-hmm. making yourself comfortable in a location one is not to meant that one is not meant to make themselves comfortable in mm. sends that message mm-hmm. of hopelessness. Yeah, like place you're settling where in for, you're visiting for like an hour because yeah. you need stuff, and then yeah, it's now this is your home. <laughs> yes. Uh, before they start handling all of these assignments, though, Dan Miller, who just shows up in the story now, uh, the, who is the an other out-of-towner. really great character, yeah. yeah, because David's just like, "Fuck, this guy's awesome. Yeah, we and should he, be following him." And he's the kind of guy who you can't help but like right away, and then you can't help not liking later when you realize he's better at everything. Yeah, than you. I love that description of him. <laughs> it tells so you much. everything you need to know yep. about this guy, and especially because he gathers everyone together and like kind of becomes the default leader uh which i think is hilarious because we haven't he's just some guy i think it makes perfect sense though because Mm -hmm. the only people who are who have the knowledge to appropriately take leadership are either the two those two are drunk Mm -hmm. and no one should follow them and we've talked so much already about how ollie and david are already so exhausted Mm -hmm. And so it's very cool that this guy, from this guy's perspective, stepping up and and taking charge. And I thought, I I did think it was hilarious because he like becomes this leader and you think, oh, he's just going to be just some guy. It's not what makes him so great. But then he comes over and he like noticed the look on Ollie and David's face that they exchanged that said like... When people are like, oh, throw salt on him. Light a match and burn him. Fight him off with brooms. They looked at each other like, 
what the fuck is that going to do? They mm-hmm. don't understand how little difference how that will make. And this guy that we just are introduced to in the crowd sees it and is like, that bad, huh? And it's like, oh, this guy's competent this guy's as fuck. He's it. observant and he's a problem solver because then he comes up with the idea of, hey, we can make torches basically yeah. Yeah. with mops. It's like immediately. Piercing. I was like, why don't yeah. we follow this guy? This yeah. guy's great. <laughs> Nothing like a bunch of torches indoors. Yeah. You gotta do what you gotta um, do, man. But yeah, he he basically says, cards on the table, who has what? Like, who has medicine? Who has mm-hmm. weapons? And like, the, the old guy's like, Got a shotgun in my truck. I'm probably not going to go get it. Well, no, he's like, oh, I he can, says, yeah, yeah he I'll go get it right. if you want. Yeah. <laughs> no. And they're like, don't do that. that. And he's like, well, I just thought I, I should offer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we meet Amanda Dumfries, who has a pistol in her purse because Hot. Uh, that because <laughs> I love that David's like, God, your husband's stupid for traveling away from a 10. <laughs> <laughs> the moment. Oh, my God. That's great. That is great. great. Uh, no. uh, but I do love the moment when the gun is introduced mm. because yeah. I don't care what you're reading. I don't care what situation mm. is happening. The second a gun is introduced, things have just gotten worse. The mm. only thing that made me feel just even slightly okay about it is that Ali is the one who ended up with it. Because the moment but, it came oh, out, came out as like you know, again another surprising you know, moment. You know that that gun is. You know Ollie's Someone's not going to use that. I, no. Someone's getting that gun used on him. Yeah. Though. Mm-hmm. But I love that everyone. Ollie's like, yeah, I have two guns similar. I also target shoot, and they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, badass. Fuck. All right, Ollie. I know. Bud is like you. Oh, I hate that guy. Yeah. yeah. At four thirty, they are sitting at the window together, Billy and David, because uh, it's David's watch. And a very real moment that David finds he it's impossible to say anything to his son right now, Mm -hmm. because what what is there to say or do right now? And Billy has this horrible breakdown. And like he says, I just want to apologize to my mom for all the times I was bad and stuff. Heartbreaking. Just awful. And (sighs) the fact that it's it's progressed to the point where. David can't even tell comforting lies anymore. Because yeah. he, he can't is just open saying, his mouth, he'll just I cry. don't know. Yeah. I don't know. He asks, is mom okay? And he just says, I don't uh, know. And he describes the sobbing as the cries only a mother can fix. Yes, and so he God, feels so powerless <laughs> to just sit there with his crying child. I just, mm-hmm. God, the, the hopelessness and powerlessness that are all over this mm-hmm. story make it so fucking human luckily billy's old babysitter's there and she takes him away for a while so that the next thing can happen which (laughs) norton and the remaining four flat earthers well five (laughs) flat earthers so then four uh decide they're leaving they've had it they're done and I love that David says it's something to the effect of at this point, I can't tell whether he believes his own bullshit or not. That's how far gone he is down this road. And David asks the most insulting thing he can ask of another man. Tie this around your waist. Um, Again, a, a totally reasonable thing. Fully. Yeah, he has a clothesline. He's like, just tie it around your waist. When you get out there, when you get like, you know, it's, it's 300, 300 feet. feet. Yep. Tie that to something else. I just so we know. And yeah, Norton's, like, Norton's like, why? And he's like, so I know you made it 300 feet. Yeah. That's terrifying. That's that horrifying. Is. It's so horrifying that they lose a member and it's only four. <laughs> I yeah. love it. You know, yeah. one guy just walks away. He's like, never mind. He's like, shit. Yeah, that's 
brutal. It's so good. But another guy steps up though. I I think this is a really cool exchange too. He's mm-hmm. like, I'll do it. And Norton kind of starts to give him shit. And this guy is kind of Ollie calm. He's just like, I'm gonna do it. Right. Is there a problem with that? And so he does it. And I love because he's like, I'll do it, but if it starts holding me back, I've got a knife. I'll I'll cut this thing right off. Like pretty much saying don't fuck around mm-hmm. with this. Which makes sense because like if these people really through madness or through actual, I don't know, uh skepticism mm-hmm. truly believe because they just leave and they're like, we'll send people back for you. Yeah, they do say that. So times. like they it's we know that it's an insane thing to do, mm-hmm. but from their perspective, they're being completely reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, Norm, well, not so much, <laughs> or whatever. Norton. Norton. Norton, not so much. Uh, but this guy just seems like a very reasonable yeah, guy. If it'll who's make finally you tired. feel better, mm-hmm. I can do that. It's it costs me nothing yeah. to tie this around my waist. Who would like to talk about what happens once that clothesline has been parsed two thirds all the way out? In a very tense (laughs) letting out of two thirds of 300 feet of rope. It ends the way you just just really wanted to. It's so satisfying, like in a really horrible way. Mm -hmm. So David has the clothesline and they leave. It's four of them. Norton, the guy who agreed to go. Someone else who apparently doesn't matter because he can't remember. And then an elderly woman. And we just get this scene of him feeding the clothesline out and Everything's going fine. I love the description. He watches them. And we got a cool description of the fog sort of overtaking the parking lot that we skipped past. But he watches them and just the way the quality of the mist as they move into that wall, mm-hmm. the the lighter parts of them disappear. And then it's like there's just clothes walking until those That's disappear. So awesome. There's also a bit of a, a small plot hole, not to be that <gasps> asshole. Oh no. Um because as they walk out into the mist, uh Dave says that Norton turns and says something to him, but he can't hear it. Mm, yeah, I saw which I... is really cool because he he says he, it sounds muffled like a radio that's in another room. Uh, which is very cool. Like the mist to think is so that dense. The mist is yeah. so dense, or in some other way, blocking the sound. Extremely cool. Except we've been hearing people scream outside the whole book. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and we're gonna hear people screaming again very soon. Maybe it's just the high pitch noises that get through. I them. guess. <laughs> Because all of a sudden, the clothesline starts jerking all over the place. And then it just like gets pulled through David's hand by several feet. Just all at once. feet. Burns, gives Ooh. him a little bit of a burn and then does it again. And it's jerking even more violently. And they're hearing these screams and they hear the elderly woman screaming. And some of the screams sound inhuman, like human lungs could not make that noise. And then that all stops and everybody wants David to shut the door. And he's like, hold on a second. And he starts pulling the clothesline back through the door. And eventually what he's pulling back is red with blood and bits of cotton. And the end of the line is completely chewed up. Yep. And Mrs. Carmody stands there and calls that death is outside. And no one contradicts her as they close the door. Ooh, she's getting powerful, guys. <laughs> and that's where we leave off for this episode. 
And that is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next time where we will be finishing The Mist for Joshua Kahn and Benjamin Graham. I'm CM Alexander reminding you, the horrors of the Inquisition are nothing compared to the fates your mind can imagine for your loved ones. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Mist, part one. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and Twitter at Dairy Public. You can also send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Check out our Etsy store for merchandise and our Patreon for bonus episodes. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.